I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And if you're welcome to turn there or watch it on the screen, it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah's writing where he says, We're not to boast in our own wisdom or in our own might or in our wealth, but we're to boast in this, that we know God. Why? Because he goes on to say, Our faith should never rest in the wisdom of men but it should rest in the power of Almighty God. God gives power to those who ask for it. You know, it's been said, if you pray little, you'll receive little. If you believe little, you'll receive little. But if you expect it, you'll get it. And I think if you're expecting God to move, you're going to receive a moving of the Holy Spirit. If you're expecting to receive a blessing, you'll get a blessing. If you're expecting misery, you're going to get misery. Your expectancy determines the platform in which you receive. So today we're expecting God to give us the power that we need to let the weak say, I'm what? Strong. To let the poor say, what? I'm rich. And let the, us all say, look what the Lord has done for us. Father, thank you. You've done a great work in us already. We're trusting you for your promises. Yes and amen. Thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. And all God's men and women said, amen. You can be seated. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Thank you, worship team. Again, thank you so much for coming out. And really, we'd love to see you over at the city center. Come by, spend time with us. Our midweek services will happen uh, in June, and we want you to be a part of our midweek uh, power nights. They're going to be wonderful services every Wednesday night and inspirational and transformational. So thank you so much uh, for being a part of this great church. You're, we could not have church without you. Have you ever thought about what society is racing towards. We're racing towards a completion of something. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet. His name was Daniel. Daniel had, a, had literally had, had prophecies that God gave him. Prophecies is just things that are to come. That's what the word prophecy means, things that are going to come to pass. And Daniel had a prophecy 4,000 years ago that knowledge would increase and there would be a knowledge explosion in our land. He talked about a day would come when men would go to and fro and there would be a knowledge increase upon the earth. Those of us that are in the 21st century, even millennials today, they do not know what it's like to live life without a cell phone, without internet. Many people, but for those of us that are a little older, we remember what it was like not having a cell phone. We remember what it was like telephone booths. Who's with me? You remember a telephone booth? And you'd be like, oh my God, this is gross. I don't want to touch this. And then the operator would come online, 25 more cents, please. Anybody remember that? <laughs> then you remember the old school pager where you would have thought you were the big boss applesauce when you had the pager. And all these things, knowledge began to increase. Now think about this. From the Garden of Eden all the way to the 1900s, you had to go anywhere either by your feet or by horseback. But then came the 1900s, the automobile was invented. After the automobile was invented, now flight was invented. Now this day, you can get on a flight from JFK to Paris, France, and you can get there in four hours. A knowledge explosion has come to the point where they're no longer saying knowledge is increasing every 
50 years or every 20 years. The latest statistics now tell us that knowledge is increasing every three months, that it's doubling. Now the iPhone of today, your Siri that can tell you where to go, where not to go, can give you a Bible verse. Now Siri is obsolete in the next couple of months. Maybe it'll be a man's voice this time. I don't know. But knowledge is increasing so much and people are on the hunt for power. They want power. One of the greatest issues today in the 21st century is this explosion of knowledge and this pursuit of power. Power is one of the greatest issues of our day. We're now watching a political divide like never before in this political climate. We're seeing people who are coming against this issue and are for this issue. And we're watching nuclear uh, threats all across the globe from the Korean Peninsula, where we're trying to denuclearize North Korea all the way through the Middle East with Iran and, and, and Hamas and the Ayatollah, who is capable now, they tell us, within one year's of time to develop and to deploy a nuclear bomb, to have a missile that has a nuclear head on it that can reach Tel Aviv, that can reach Jerusalem. And North Korea, they say they have missile capability that can reach Guam or even perhaps the United States. Men are pursuing power like never before. If you remember that hot August morning, 1945, when the news has broken over a war-weary world, that there was one atomic bomb released that shattered and destroyed Hiroshima, Nagasaki with one atomic blast. Some of you see the image on the screen. The world was shocked. They were stunned. They were staggered in disbelief. They could not imagine anything being that powerful. From the Garden of Eden all the way to the 1900s, we rode on horsebacks. We had, we had bow and arrows. We had sticks and clubs and spears. And now we've got assault weapons. We have nuclear exchange now. We're trying to take the genie back and put it into the bottle, but it's escaped. The nuclear exchange is upon us, and here's why. We have within our grasp now the ability to reduce the earth to ashes, to scatter in seconds what it has taken centuries to build and to put together. Why? Knowledge without the character of God, power without the character of God to control that power is the formula for the end of the world. Power without the character of God to control that power is the formula for the end of the world. On a side note, people have asked me, Joey, with the end times that are upon us, do you see North Korea exchanging nuclear uh, capabilities and expressing that capability and, and, and hitting those missiles? And I say, absolutely not. The scriptures tell us out of the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament that the plague will come upon Israel. And the prophet of thousands of years ago, he describes a nuclear exchange that happens in Israel. And he talked about a body that would be exposed to radiation. I want to tell you that because so many people are fearful of North Korea as, as, as nuclear capability. That's not the fear. I believe the fear in my own understanding of scripture and my own understanding of prophecy. The fear is Iran. The fear is what's happening because they're coming against Israel and there will be be a nuclear exchange in the Middle East in the near future. Not because I say that, but the Bible tells us that 
that is coming. Ezekiel tells us, the prophet tells us, God tells us in his word, man's capabilities to pursue power and pursue strength without God's wisdom and God's anointing only produces destruction. Power without the character of God. There will be a nuclear exchange in the Middle East in the near future because humanity has never had a weapon that they have not used. That's why the end of the world is near. Aren't you excited about my encouraging thought this morning? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to be, but okay. <laughs> That's why the end of the world is near. That's why we're technologically, we're in the space age, but morally, we're in the stone age. Now, friends, power in itself is not evil, nor is the passion to possess power wrong. It was Jesus who preached the gospel of power. It was the kingdom of God, and it was established by power. People did not go see Jesus because he had little wise things to say. They went to see him because he put his hands upon people and leprosy disappeared. He spoke and dead man came back to life. He spoke and demons were delivered. Mark chapter 9 verse 1, the kingdom of God came with power. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. The Bible says, to as many as believed, gave he the power to become the sons and daughters of God. That word in the Greek is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. So let's say it together. To as many as believed, gave the dynamite power to become the sons and daughters of Almighty God. God's given you explosive power because you are his son and you are his daughter, where you come and to a place of of saying, Abba, Father, I belong to him. Aren't you glad you belong to God today? That's where we get the dunamis. But I want you to know so often we do not fear God's power. And there is a reason because God's power is consistent with something. It is consistent with his character. People ask me, Joey, what is it first and foremost about God that you, that you hold to? What is your kind of your moral compass? What is it that really keeps you in a place of relying on God? And every time I'm asked a question that has that parameter, I always say the same conclusion, the fear of the Lord. I fear God. The reason that I do things that I do is because I have a fear of the Lord. Now, before you agree with me and say, me too, Joey, I want you to understand the fear of the Lord to some people is not a healthy fear of the Lord we are to have according to the scripture. Some people, they call it fearing the Lord, but it's nothing more than fearing damnation or fearing, or fearing condemnation. The scriptures tell us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of something. It is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom brings understanding. Understanding brings a place of reasoning. Reasoning brings me to a place of completion, com uh, uh, completion of something. So when I reason and if I have understanding, then I understand that God is for me. He's not against me. So my reverent fear of God is not because if I mess up or I blow it or if I sin then I'm, uh, and, and the rapture takes place, then I'm going to be on a grease pole to hell because nobody, nobody wants to live uh, in the world and God comes back. And, and if I don't live right, then God's coming back and I'm going to hell. So I got to fear God. No, no, that's wrong thinking. Wrong thinking produces a fear of man. They call it God, but it's nothing more than the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of the man is a snare. 
The fear of what man can do. Can I tell you, man developed religion and religion declares you've got to fear God because if you mess up and if you blow it, then you're going to go on to a place called Hades and God, he's going to come against you and he's going to rack you up. But as a believer, can I tell you, friends, we're to have a healthy, reverent fear of almighty God that produces the beginning of understanding, which gives us wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is a fact. Wisdom is the applying of the fact. So I've got wisdom so I can apply the fact that God is for me. He's not against me. I can apply the fact that God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you even to the ends of the earth. It applies the fact that when God heals me and he saves me and he calls me, it's not as easy to lose my salvation as religion would try to dictate. The fact of the matter is as a believer, I am, I am loved. I am cherished. I am chosen. I am, I am anointed and I am favored of God. It gives me wisdom and it puts me in a reverent awe of God. So I'm not trying to see how much I can live like the world and call myself a believer. I have a healthy fear of God, not because I want to mess up, but I know when I do mess up, I'm not running from God. I'm running to him because I have a healthy fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. But so often we get taught, if you do this, it's going to result in that. So if you do that and you do that, then it's a, it's a works mentality. And many people live, God forbid, in that works mentality because they don't have a healthy fear of the Lord that produces wisdom and understanding. They've got a religious fear of the Lord that says, I got to do, do, do so I can be, be, be. But I want you to know you don't have to do, do nothing because it's already been done, done, done at Calvary. It's already been done. But we think God should be like us. But God never told us to, to, for him to be like us. God told us to be like him. God said, be conformed, not to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So we kind of think God should be like us, but we're inconsistent. We're moody. Now, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people that you know. We're moody. We're inconsistent. We have good days. We have bad days. Today, I'm happy. But tomorrow, look out, Jack, if things don't go my way. And then we say things like, well, I, I, I just I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm just not myself today. When I hear that, I always think, well, who are you then? If you're not yourself, then who are you? Can I tell you, friend, God never has a blue Monday. God never hangs his head on a cloud with his feet up because he's got an Excedrin headache. God never calls the psychologist and says, doctor, can you tell me who I am today? No, no, we are different. We seek power, whether it be bombs, money, political office, without the character of God to control that power. It's kind of like this. We want what God has without being what God is. And technologically, there's an advancement, a knowledge explosion. We're in the space age. We're taking people to the moon. We're throwing satellites upon the orbit. We are in the space age technologically, but friends, morally, we are in the stone age. And I'm telling you, nuclear giants, but ethically, we've got lower than low where we can't even skip rope under the bed and our heads are not even hitting the slats. I mean, we are lower than low and we need to discover that power of God and produces character in the inside of us. The power of God is not only consistent with his character to have a reverent awe of him, but it also consistent with purpose. 
God gives us power so we can fulfill our divine purpose. Everybody look at me today because I think there is a misconception in the body of Christ. I think some of you have been taught that if you if you step out of this thing or you do this thing and you'll get out of the will of God so fast that you might not get back into the will of God and you can get off track. And those things are true in effect. But can I tell you, friends, as a believer in Jesus, as a lover of God, nobody with any intent thought is going to get out of the will of God intentionally. I would say then you're not saved. You don't know the Lord because anybody that loves God, anybody that is called according to his purpose, you're not going to miss the will of God. May you misstep? Yes. May you step off course for a season? Yes. May you, may you do some things that you're not proud of and have a result of the seeds you've sown? Yes. But can I tell you, every believer at the sound of my voice, you look at me today and understand, every believer at the sound of my voice, God put in the DNA of every believer, divine purpose, a spark of expectancy. Every one of you have a purpose. You are designed on purpose. You have a purpose. You have something to to contribute to this world and to the kingdom of God. You are designed with favor on purpose for a purpose. When you understand that, the place of your purpose starts to produce power. But when we don't realize that we're made with the purpose, when things don't go our way, we start not trusting the Lord. When things don't go our way, we say, I'm out of the will of God. I'm sure Job's friends said when he, when he lost his family, when he lost all of it, I'm sure the charismatic division of Job's friends says, you know, you really, should, you really should check your heart, Job. I'm sure God's mad at you for something. I'm sure Job's godly friends told him, if you wouldn't be such a sinner, these bad things wouldn't happen to you. And isn't it true for so many of us, we don't realize that we have identity and we have purpose. So when things don't go our way, we start to blame God. It's so true. I've learned, and I hope I can help you with this. When you're immature in your belief, when things aren't going your way, you blame God. You blame God. God, why did this happen? Where did this happen? That's because you're an immature believer. But when you blame yourself, you're an insecure believer. You start because out of insecurity, you start blaming yourself. If I'd have done that, and if I'd have prayed more, and if I'd have done more, and if I wouldn't have went through that divorce, and if I wouldn't have went through that separation, you start blaming yourself because you're insecure. But friends, can I tell you, when you realize that when you became a believer, when you accepted Jesus, the DNA of heaven exploded in you, now you're made for a purpose, you're designed by God for a purpose, so no matter what you go through, you're not blaming God because you're immature, you're not blaming yourself because you're insecure, you're saying, God, let the wind of adversity blow me to my divine destiny. Lord, I'm trusting in you from a place of not enough, a place of just enough, because I know there's coming a place where my cup runneth over and there's more than enough because I belong to you. But it's so easy, right? It is so easy to say, oh, but Joey, I don't have enough and I'm out of the will of God. You love the Lord, then get back in step. The Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered of God and so are the stops. 
Get back in step with God. Get back in step to your divine calling. Let go of those baggage. Let go of those things that have hurt you, those negative mindsets that people have tried to put on you. You say, well, Joey, they left me. If they left you, you didn't need them. They're a part of your past. They're not a part of your future. You say, Joey, you don't know how they've hurt me. Then why don't you let it go? Unforgiveness is like a hot coal in your hand. Only until you drop it like it's hot do you let that thing go. You got to let it go. Because the place of God's purpose always produces power. Remember in the Old Testament, Elijah, God said to Elijah the prophet, go to the widow woman's house for there I'll be with you. You know, there's a divine there for everybody. There's an intersection where you get from place of not enough to a place of more than enough because God has always designed a there for his people. How about the widow woman? She had lived in a place of not enough. She had lived in a place where she didn't have enough. Was she out of the will of God or was she designed by God, orchestrated to do something special for God's glory? No, friends, she wasn't out of the will of God. She was right smack in the will of God because she had a plan and God had a purpose for her life. And when Elijah got there, something began to happen and she intersected with him and divine the purpose exploded and it went from not enough to more than enough. The meal barrels were constantly full and the, and the crews of oil constantly Constantly was filled. Why? Because that was the place of God's purpose and it produced power. Was she in God's purpose here? You better believe it. Was she in God's purpose here? You better believe it. No difference. She just got to a place of there. Can I tell you, friends, God has a there for you. Stay in faith. Stay in believing. God's got a divine there for you. Will you get to a place of not enough? Maybe there's just not enough healing, but he's going to get you to more than enough. Not enough finances, but now more than enough. Stop saying your cup is empty. Stop saying my cup is kind of full. Be a person that thanks God you got a cup. Why? Because there's coming a day whether your cup is empty at the moment or your cup is half full, there's coming a day, bless the Lord, where your cup's going to run it over and your cup's going to run it over. The power of the gospel is going to run it over and over and over and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever. I'm talking about power. Christ has power, not only of nature, but he has power over death. He walked to the tomb of Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth. If he hadn't called Lazarus by name, Every dead man since the dawn of creation would have gotten out of the grave, for he is the resurrection and the power. You say, well, that's good. But nothing like that's going to happen in my life, and nothing like that's going to happen for me. I want you to know on that great morning called resurrection morning, the trump of God is going to sound. The voice of the archangel is going to split the heaven, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord into the air. Can I tell you, there's a meeting in the air when Jesus comes back for the church. It's called the rapture, and it's better than Delta. It's better than Southwest. It's the airline called rapture, and it's the only way to fly. So think about that. Because where is Jesus now? Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, which is a position of power. 
He has power to heal your body. He has power to deliver you from drugs, alcohol, or pornography. He has power to bring back the sick, the dead, and the dying. There's power to overcome any financial situations or difficulty. He has power to bring back a prodigal son or daughter. There's power in his word. There's power in his touch. There's power in his blood. Do you have a problem? Jesus is the answer. He gives you the power because you have a divine purpose. It was Jesus who gave us a power demonstration in the upper room. When the disciples were wanting to see who was going to be number one in the kingdom, remember, who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he takes on the Roman government? You see, they thought it was a joy was coming their way to see Rome go to the ground. Rome was an oppressor. Rome was absolutely uh, vicious in everything that they did. And they were thinking what a joy it was going to be when Jesus came with the white horse and the sword and they take over Rome and get back Jerusalem. Do you know they even had their Jewish mothers lobbying Jesus to get the position who was going to be at the right hand of Jesus when he came into that kingdom? And then it came time to do something. Wash the feet. And the only one who had true spiritual strength put a towel around his waist, knelt down, and washed the feet. He was the only one strong enough to kneel. The only one powerful enough to serve. Because he knew beyond the thankless task was their joy waiting because there's well done, good and faithful servant. Look at Jesus, power in the grip of goodness, power with dedication, power with the towel wrapped around his arm. If the power of God is consistent with character, and if it's working with purpose, no matter what I'm going through, then my power and my purpose is really designed to serve and help people. There are two types of people in this room. People who have power over you are people who have power with you. Which type of operational power do you live in? Do you have power over people or do you have power with people? You see, that is decided by you and how you're willing to help. 2,000 years ago, it was Jesus. He's standing beside Pilate. And Pilate said something amazing. Spittle was in his beard. His hands were tied behind his back. Jesus had been flogged and beaten. And he's standing beside Pilate. And Pilate said something amazing. Pilate said, Knowest thou that I have the power over you? He's telling Jesus, Don't you know I have the power over you? Because it reflects a concept. Pilate had Caesar's kind of power. The power that would dominate over people. It would cause by force to take what they wanted. Do you know there was a day when Josephus, the historian, the Jewish historian said that the sun and others followed in his writings, that the sun would never set on the Roman Empire? Rome was so strong. It was so vast. Rome is but a remnant today because there was a different type of power that was in the presence. It was the power not over people. It was the power with people. It was Jesus. He's saying, don't you know I have the power over you? He had Caesar's kind of power dominating. But Jesus had a power accommodating. He had a power that would accommodate. You know what I'm talking about. He had that power that would serve and help and be a blessing. Can I tell you something that's happening right now? 2,000 plus years later, 
the Caesars of this world, they haven't changed. They have H-bombs. They have nuclear warheads. They're screaming death to Israel, death to America. They're screaming that they have a capability of producing nuclear exchange and they have the ability to take over nations and take over governments. The Caesars of this world, they haven't changed a bit. They're still in pursuit of that ultimate thing of power. I love what a dictator by the name of Napoleon said. And Napoleon, not only was he a dictator, he wasn't short, by the way, but that's another message for another day. You know, people say Napoleon was short, little man. Actually, Napoleon was pretty tall. But anyway, that's another message. You can look that up. Ask Siri. She'll tell you. Technology. But Napoleon said on the Isle of St. Helena, he was in jail, and he said these words, Alexander the Great, Caesar, and Charlemagne, and myself, founded empires by force. Would you call finding, found, uh, getting empires by force power over people? How many of you would say that? He said, we founded empires by force. But he went on to say in his writings that Jesus of Nazareth founded his empires upon love. And at this very hour, millions of people would die for him whom they've never seen. End of quote. He's on this island. He's locked up. He's saying, our empires we founded with force are gone. They're but a remnant. Now the sun sets on Rome many times over because Rome is no longer the strong man. Rome is but a remnant. No longer are these dictators uh, a place of prominence. Now they're dust, dust heaps in the ashes of a bitter history. I'm telling you that for a reason because Jesus had power with people. He loved them. He served people. He helped them. And that's the greatest thing to God's heart. When you find find a need, you meet the need, and you serve your way, you get access. Do you know real power is patient? Go ahead, Pat. Would you play a little bit? It'll make me feel more anointed, and I'll think about closing. No, I'm actually closing. No, I'm not really. But I want you to think, if you make me a sandwich, I'll stay longer. Can, <laughs> I am really hungry, by the way. Can I tell you that Real power is patient. That's a tough one. But littleness is easily provoked. Real power is patient. That's what God's been working on me. I am so impatient. And I've realized real power is patience. But littleness is easily provoked. You know, there's a time that I was easily provoked. I'm no longer that way, thank God. I mean, you can provoke me. You poke the bear, baby. I'm biting. <laughs> but there was a time I was easily provoked. But I had to realize I had to do what I'm asking you to do. I had to take something out of the playbook of his word. And he had to deal with me about having real power. Not being a person living under a gospel of works. I never did that intentionally, nor does anybody at the, that loves God. But I found myself like many of you trying to, in the subconscious, prove to God that I really loved him. And I do love the Lord. I love God with everything I have. I'm no different here than I am at home or anywhere else. You get it, you get it anywhere. I'm, I'll jack you up anywhere. That's why religious people just don't like me. Because I am no different. 
That's why yeah, I thank you, two of you. The rest of you, you tolerate me. But I had to come to a place some years ago where I had to stop and realize it's not about what I do. Because I would do so many things and I'd go, man, I, I'm doing it because I love the Lord. And God goes, I know you love me. That's why you're doing it. But my heart was doing it subconsciously because I thought the more I would do, the more he would approve of me. And I had to realize that was a religious mindset that had crept in my spirit and needed to be broken by the power of God. And I couldn't give what I didn't have. But I want you to know, today God gives us power, just like he does back then, but he does the same today. But there's something to be said about having power with people. I had a friend, and he would work in those shipyards, and my friend would load those cargo ships up with materials. And he would tell me about the massive amount of cargo that you would load on the ships. He would say, Joe, you'd be amazed on how many tons of cargo we get on these huge vessels. He said, but what many people don't know, when you load them up on the vessels, you cannot put certain types of material and weight in certain parts of the ship. He said, if you put the, the weight of this particular thing that you're loading in the vessel, it'll get it off course. It'll get it not floating the way it needs to float and doing what it needs to do. He said, but you would be amazed, Joey, how many tons of cargo we get on the barge on the vessel. Why? Because it was designed to carry in the proper place. How about if you take that same mentality and try to load cargo in a canoe? You'd be baptized in 20 seconds. Try loading something up in the canoe. It's not designed for it. Some of you are taking life because of a works mentality, like a canoe. You keep loading stuff up. You keep loading stuff up because you love the Lord, but you find your life constantly flipping over because it's divinely out of control. But when you have a disposition of that, that cargo ship, putting the places where they need to be, you'll sail through life with passion, purpose, and persistence with the Lord's help. But when you have a disposition of that canoe, no matter what you put in there, and it could be the best of stuff, it's gonna flip because it's out of control. It's not in the proper place. God is saying to all of us today, you want to be powered up, you've got to rest in my character. You've got to realize that you have a divine purpose on this earth and your purpose will always result in helping others. It will always result in helping others. You know, there never would have been a day you would have told me years ago, your tragedy of your upbringing, your horrific trauma of your life Half of your life, 22 is when I got saved. Well, now older than that. But 22, that, that life up to 22 would all be orchestrated and used of God for purpose. To build and to do what others cannot do because they're not designed to do it. You're designed to do it. But I have to do what I'm asking you to do. No matter what I'm designed to do, I need to put it in the proper place so I can sail through it properly. 
And God is asking all of us today, what do you need of me? And let me take your life, put my character in it. Let me take your life and put that purpose in it, no matter if you're a place of not enough, just enough, or you're running and over enough, more than enough. Let me take your life and let me put purpose on it, in it, so you can help others. You can help others. You say the city never knew what they needed till we came. They never fully knew. And now they realize, oh man, we needed that. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And you need more. You know, I have something to tell you today from the Holy Spirit. You are designed for battle. You're designed to take on the enemy's assault. But you're not going to take it on in a defensive posture. You're going to take it on and overcome it with a position of peace. Stay in peace. Stay in rest. Knowing God is fighting the battle for you. And everything's going to be all right. You receive that word today? I know you do.